Welcome to Media and Monuments, presented by Women in Film and Video in Washington, D.C. Media and Monuments is conversations featuring industry pros speaking on a wide range of topics of interest to media makers. Welcome, I'm your host, Candace Block, and today we're going to focus on sourcing archival materials for your projects. To help us learn more about that subject, our guest today is archival producer Sarah Katz. Sarah has worked in television and multimedia as a producer, shooter, and researcher for nearly 20 years. She has been an archival producer with agencies such as Vox Media, Six West Media Group, and Story Syndicate. She has credits on over 40 documentaries for the History Channel, National Geographic Television, Biography, Planet Green, and Investigation Discovery. She routinely produces news stories about American policy with foreign journalists as part of the Foreign Press Center's Media Co-op program. And Sarah has also produced countless hours of educational content for The Great Courses, covering topics from science to literature to archaeology. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, so this is a topic that I know a lot of our listeners are going to absolutely eat up and get a ton of value out of. We have a lot of documentary filmmakers, and I know it, it can maybe go beyond that. But for listeners who may not be aware, what does an archival producer do? So the way I describe it is an archival producer sources third-party media that is not shot by the original production. So, you know, that's any photographs, film, it can be audio, documents. I work all in nonfiction content, so it's something that's really essential to a lot of documentary films to supplement the stories, you know, they're real life stories, and there's just huge, huge, enormous volumes of archival media that can be used in any documentary or other types of film. And, you know, sometimes it could be things that you see in a newspaper or periodical, there are photographs. I sometimes compare it to that, because part of it is not just sourcing it directly from an archive or anyone who has that photo, photo agencies, but it's a lot of permissions process too. Yeah. So I would say that one thing is nice is you have that experience, you know, not only where to look, but how to get the permission to use it in whatever project. So yeah, how did you get into this line of work? Like when, is there any training or anything for it? Or is it just an accumulation of experiences or there's certification? Yeah, that's a great question. I did get trained. So I grew up in Maine, and I was working in Portland, Maine, in television production. And I discovered this fantastic documentary production company in South Portland that worked on History Channel, PBS shows, National Geographic. And they had a really strong archival producer there. And she had been trained by a previous archivist. And this this is really kind of predates the internet. So <laughs> it was kind of night and day from how we do it now. But she had excellent kind of media management, excellent database skills, just really solid workflows for managing media and research. I really did get trained at a company that made all the difference in terms of how, how they manage media and productions overall. So I was fortunate in that way. But I teach workshops at Docs in Progress, and I've taught about four or five of them. And one thing people say to me is, this isn't taught anywhere, really. I mean, there's there's archival science in libraries for libraries training. George Washington University, I think, has a library science program, but there's not a lot of training for archival producing in film. And I've worked with some archival coordinators recently who have, have worked with me to support my projects. And they also say, you know, they come from film school or journalism school, and they mention that there's not really training like this yeah. in school. 
Yeah, it sounds like it's kind of a mentor-mentee type of situation or like apprentice type thing, but maybe some type of training could be of benefit. Um, it's great that you do teach things as well, so you're passing your knowledge and experience and wisdom on. In doing all of this type of work, is it something that you do working alone a lot, or do you work in teams or groups, depending on the scope of the project? Most of my work has been with teams. Most of my work is at production companies that are like the company that I first got trained in. They're production companies that make shows for History Channel, National Geographic, PBS, most recently, I've been working with Story Syndicate, who produces for Hulu and Netflix. So it's often really with a team of producers, directors, editors, production managers. That's usually the environment I work in. When I was in Washington, I did some consulting for two years with an academic department at George Mason University. That was a smaller team. And I do do some freelance consulting. Like I have people contact me and ask me for research on their independent films. But the bulk of what I do is really with production teams. That's cool. At what point would a filmmaker, especially like a smaller one, if they're starting with a doc and they're thinking, oh, I need to get all these archival materials and different things to start, you know, really fleshing out my piece. At what point should they consider looking into somebody like an actual archival producer or archivist as instead of just trying to do it all themselves? Yeah, that's a good question too. Of course, I'm going to say you should start from square one. <laughs> you should <laughs> right. start from day one. But I say that because there's a lot of complexities to archival research that you might not know if you're just digging into it. I usually advise people not to rely on Google for their research, like not to do Google image search, for instance, or not to rely on <laughs> yeah. YouTube. Whoever posts that media to those platforms doesn't own the rights to it. And you mm -hmm. always want to find the original rights holder, because if you're distributing to any large audience, you're going to need to get a license or a permission to use the media. And just mm -hmm. going from Google or YouTube, you know, it's, it's detective work. <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of like a event or wedding planning when people say they can do it themselves. And then partway through, they're like, oh, but there's all of these steps and processes and things I should have realized someone else is more professional at handling. I tend to say one of the risks there, too, is you get really, really far along in your film and you might have committed to some piece of media, you think it's going to make your film, and then only to realize that the licensing fee is exorbitant, or there's just a caveat in trying to get it clear, mm -hmm. trying to get permission to use. Would you say that's the biggest roadblock is more the permission rather than finding the content? I do think that is the huge challenge. I think, again, because it can sometimes unfortunately be underestimated, but it is, it can be really, really challenging. Like if you want to license feature films, you know, there are different processes you have to go through and it might cost $10,000 to license a short clip. I do think that the clearance process and the fees involved in licensing are um, the bigger challenges of research. Yeah. And that also brings up sometimes when people think of archives, they think of really, really old stuff. And it's just any other any of the content that is not, as you said at the beginning, filmed themselves, it can be considered this stuff. So in, we're based out of DC. I know that that is one of the areas that is particularly fantastic for having resources such as like the National Archives, Library of Congress, Smithsonian, things like that. What makes those particular places so wonderful? And are there resources for archives that filmmakers overlook often, like historical societies or things like that? 
Yeah. Well, of course, I can't say enough about DC. Even when I was in Maine working at a production company, I went on research trips to Washington, to the National Archives, and the staff there are phenomenal. They're really there to serve the public, and they're so helpful and answer so many questions. So I can't say enough about the National Archives in particular. And yeah, the Library of Congress and Smithsonian are great too. But I really think it depends on your story. Your story is going to drive the archives that you're going to. I 100% think that local archives, historical societies, libraries, local museums, those can always be amazing sources for archival research. I go there, go to places like that all the time. Of course, that is historic, not necessarily contemporary. But um, I also think that libraries are really, really helpful for research in general. Librarians are always there to answer questions and point you to different resources. I would agree that historical societies and museums and universities are overlooked. Yeah. And as you were hinting at before, you know, people are very quick to just look online for stuff, but I'm sure there's a great benefit to physically going to some of these places. I know you can't like take things out physically. So if someone is going there, say to National Archives, for example, what are some of the things they should consider when they're going, maybe things to bring with them or anything like that? One thing I will also say, I'm such a proponent of going to the archives because you can find things that you don't expect. If you have Mm -hmm. something in mind, that you want to use in your film that you found on YouTube, that might just be one photograph in a whole reel of other, or a whole, you know, lots and lots of photographs in a certain collection. There are definitely undiscovered, unknown benefits to, to going to the archives and seeing what's there. And that can really drive your story. In terms of what to bring to the archives, a lot of them have a lot of restrictions because of the delicacy of the media. So... The National Archives does have computers you can use and you can bring your own computer and they have Wi-Fi. You can bring hard drives there. The National Archives has reels of footage that you can actually just save to your hard drive, which is amazing. They're usually screener quality. They're not high resolution, like broadcast quality, but they're great for research. So I would just talk to the archives about what you should, what you can and can't bring. Um, The National Archives too has a process for going through paperwork. You can only bring paperwork that they've approved. Security looks through the papers before you go up into the reading room. And I always bring notes too. I like to develop timelines, especially if I'm working on a film, like I'll create a timeline and maybe a list of locations and use those as keywords when I'm doing research. So I try to be really, really prepared in my research and think about What areas might I discover just by using keyword searches? There's just the whole fun of going to an archive is what you don't expect to find. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's two questions I have about that. One about resolution quality. I'm just curious because it is kind of a fun adventure. I've done some myself. I've been to the National Archives and done a little bit for some projects. And it is, yeah, it's amazing what's there. Do you have any stories that stand out? Maybe you were working on a piece and as you're researching, you find like new branches or avenues to kind of go down on the subject you thought you were going in there? Yeah, I mean, I think that happens all the time. And that's what I love about it. I can't think of a specific anecdote from the National Archives, but one that I really like to tell. I worked on a series called Deep Sea Detectives for the History Channel, and they were deep sea detectives. They were scuba (laughs) divers investigating shipwrecks. So my job was always to find whatever media I could on those ships before they sank. And part of one of the mysteries, the mysteries always, how did the ship sink? I was trying to find like a blueprint of one of these ships. And 
it was built in the UK and in like the early 20th century, you know, like the 19 teens. And I found the shipyard where the ship was built in the UK and I found their historical society and they didn't have a blueprint of that ship, but they had a blueprint of the sister ship, which was identical to the ship. And it helped the deep sea detectives. That's awesome. That's amazing. See, this is, you you get to go on all these fun detective adventures. And yeah, it it sounds like searching through all of this stuff is is really rewarding as well. There's a kind of an excitement to it, even though some people might think it sounds boring. You're like, oh no, I find all kinds of things. Yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> it can be really, really fun. Yeah, so speaking of the quality, because yeah. some of them you only get, like you said, screener quality. Is there a process to get a, a better quality? Because I know if someone's making a film, for example, they would want it to eventually be on a big screen. Yes. And so that's something to consider. Yeah, and that's also a reason why... I think it is helpful to work with a professional because, for instance, at this point, I've actually worked on like 50 films and there's a very solid workflow for how to manage this archival media and it works. I mean, this is what I was spending my time doing today for the last few weeks. The process is usually you get like temporary low resolution research files, whether it's film or video or photographs. I guess things have changed since I started like pre-internet but where you can get you're like I don't want to date myself (laughs) it's It's fine though there's still a lot that's done offline so yeah anytime yeah and there's and to to be honest like there's still a lot of media that is not digitized and that's an advantage of going to the archives and working directly with the archives is because they don't always have the resources to digitize everything Mm -hmm. so if you work with them you know they might digitize it for you there's often a fee involved but you can find things that are not on the internet. Yeah. And it's an ongoing process to digitize them. So you're not going to find everything in lens. You dig deeper. Yeah. So I guess some of the shows I've been working on more recently, they, the producers really do want to get the highest quality in their cuts. But the way I was trained was to get research files because when you buy high resolution media, it's going to cost a lot of money. So we get temporary files until the show is locked until we know the show is final. And at that stage, I work with vendors, like the National Archives has post-production vendors that they work with, like Henninger's one of them, Color Labs, another one. So there are these post-production houses that do National Archives transfers. And then you can order them in 4K or HD. You can talk to them about whatever quality you need for your film. For photographs, like I would go to the National Archives and bring a scanner. That's pretty common. You just go in and you can scan it at whatever resolution you want. They have scanners there too. I think they might cost like 25 cents or so per scan, something like that. There's usually a process for the films I work on that you get low resolution media until your show is locked and then you up res. So you order all the high resolution. Yeah, that's smart. It's almost yeah. like a pre-vis or something like you yeah. or storyboarding. You kind of get it and then you're only going to pay for what you need. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And you figure um, out the budget along the way. Like you're, Right. I, I do budget estimates at every cut delivery. Mm-hmm. How often does that happen where there's something that somebody really wants, but they it's not in the budget to get the version. So they maybe have to pick a different. Yeah, that's always a balance. Like that's something that I go through with every piece of media because producers have a vision in mind for how they want to tell their story. And so I might go out and get estimates on how much the licensing is. 
A lot of projects I've been working on recently work really closely with legal counsels and see if there are paths towards fair using media. That really takes a legal consultation to determine whether your editorial use falls within fair use and then you're not paying licensing fees. I always say I'm not a legal consultant. I'm like a middle person in between the lawyer and the filmmaker. That also kind of points out, are there different legal considerations for how the material is going to be used? Like if it's documentary or maybe like advertising, like yeah. I would imagine there's differences there. Yeah, yeah. That's a good question too. Yeah, that's something that I always talk to my vendors about. I work on documentaries and there are different tiers. There's different criteria for licensing media. And one is the type of media, like theatrical, television, internet. So it's media type, duration of the license, and territory of the license. And for my projects, I license for the terms all media worldwide in perpetuity. Um, But that's going to be the highest licensing cost. I license for editorial. There's different costs for commercial licensing, for advertising. And if you were to license, for instance, like cinematic rights, just Mm -hmm. for North America, not worldwide, that would have a different rate than all media worldwide. Um, So there's a lot of different factors that I always talk to any archives or footage vendors about when I'm licensing and get the rates based on that. Yeah. Well, that's another example of why it's important to go through somebody who knows about all of these things and has the experience and, and can take those considerations What do you think about organizations such as like the Society of American Archivists? Are there other organizations like that as well? Is that something that's a good resource that people should look into? I don't know that much about the Society of American Archivists. I think it's an academic group, maybe for museums. And I do know that there's a whole world of archiving within the museum realm. I follow some of those groups on social media. I think I, you know, they're highly, highly respected (laughs) for what they do. I guess my specialty is working with filmmakers and working, getting media on a screen. But I have complete respect for those other archival groups. And there's kind of informal archival groups. There's an archival listserv in New York. I don't know one in D.C., but I have other friends who are archival producers in D.C. Yeah, I mean, the big group I can think of is the listserv in in New York. There's a Washington, D.C., based Archival Researchers Association. And that is not just filmmakers. There are filmmakers on it, but there's also more academic archivists devoted to the National Archives. There are lots of researchers and archivists who go to the National Archives on a daily basis. That's what they do. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it sounds like to have access to a network of people, someone might be able to point you in the right direction as an archivist yourself, or if you're just a filmmaker trying to figure out where to go or have suggestions for where to find things on a particular topic. I always recommend asking the archives. If you need to access an archives that's outside of your region, you can ask them if they have researchers who can go in for you rather than you making a trip to like California. Oh, that's that's good good advice. (laughs) Obviously, more and more is becoming digital and there's online resources and things. Do you find that a lot of these resources have really good online organizing or cataloging of everything? And is that a good place to start? It's always a good place to start, but it really depends on what your subject matter is. I would say there's a lot of 
historical media that might not be digitized. I'm just trying to think of some recent projects I've worked on. I worked on a show about the toy industry last year for the History Channel. And we were talking to some university archives that had like the corporate collections of some of these toy manufacturers, and they were not digitized. (laughs) They sent us a list. (laughs) And this can be complicated if you can't go to a library that has a huge collection. I mean, it's ideal if you can go to that library, Um, Mm -hmm. but they would have like a list of the media that they had. And we would just have to kind of take our best guess what is going to be valuable from that collection and then Mm. order like a research copy of it. Mm -hmm. You've brought up a couple examples so far, but is there any like a project that you worked on where you gathered and learned a lot about something and it just kind of sticks with you to this day? Well, that's why I love my work (laughs) because (laughs) I've worked on so many projects that I'm really, really proud of. And I'll be honest, the project that I'm wrapping up right now is one of my top favorites. (laughs) I mean, I always work with wonderful people. Like I have made some amazing colleagues on every single project, but I'm really excited about the project that I'm working on right now, which is releasing this summer on Netflix. Are you able to talk about it or share any more? Or there is hasn't something been a to public be... announcement of the title Ooh. yet, so I can't say more. Okay, okay. Well, we will keep an eye out for that. Hopefully we can, when it does come public, you can maybe let us know and we can tack it on to the show notes or something Yeah, and let everyone know. I mean, it sounds like this career has been really cool and it's a way to learn a lot about a lot of different topics and diving deep into the research is kind of like a you're almost getting like a free degree or getting paid to learn a lot about a lot of different subjects if someone wanted to get into this same field is there any advice that you would give them if they wanted to do what you do because you yeah. talk so highly of it, it oh. I mean, i'm curious about it now too <laughs> yeah i always want to encourage people who are curious to pursue what they're passionate about. And I think doing research, having that innate curiosity will do you well, I guess, if you want to pursue that, because you have to, you have to do investigative work. And there's a lot of media management, I would say, understanding media management and rights and clearances is really important. And like we were talking about earlier, kind of overlooked. So if you have those skills, or if you want to learn, it's good to kind of take those roles and get your foot in the filmmaking industry. Actually, somebody did say to me recently, this is the work of God, I think, because I am the middleman with legal teams a lot. And I do a lot of <laughs> <Yeah>. like logging. <laughs> it's not always glamorous, but it's it, it's fun. A lot of it. Yeah, really it sure sounds fun and interesting. You can't talk about the project you are currently working on. But are there projects you can talk about that are recent that we should keep an eye out for that we can point to it and be like, hey, Sarah helped get that? <laughs> yeah, I'm. well, I worked at A&E last year. And so I worked on two big series there. It's the Built series. And they have, they kind of have spinoffs on all of these different topics. But I worked on the machines that built America and the toys Mm. that built America. Oh, that sounds so fun. (laughs) Folks might know those. That's cool. So when you watch things now, do you ever look and either see the things that you helped get and have a sense of pride? Or do you see things that maybe are on a project you haven't worked on? You're like, wow, that was a good find that whoever got that, you know? Yeah, I definitely have a lot of curiosity when I'm watching something (laughs) for where the archival material came from. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you've got your archivist eyes on it always. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, a lot of the projects I work on are very, very fast paced. And I do kind of have a passion for working on projects where the archive is doing a lot more of the storytelling. 
mm-hmm. as much as I love the projects I work on now, you know, it's, yeah, it would be great to work on really important social justice films. That's something I would love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because archives are needed for every type of thing you can imagine. I'm sure mm-hmm. people might originally think, oh, documentaries only or really old stuff or whatever, but it can be used in so many ways and it's a very important thing. I think it's great that we as a society and a culture and a species or whatever kind of document and save things so mm-hmm. we can look back in our histories. Yeah. Uh, that's that's so great. Could I just add this point too about the Built series, the machines mm-hmm. that built America and the toys that built America? One really cool element of that show is they were in some cases like bringing to life they had actors and recreations on green screen in historic time periods and they use some of the archive to represent to kind of be embedded in into that those recreations and I think that's cool there's a really cool potential for merging the archival with technology and green screen and graphics Mm -hmm. oh that's awesome that's yeah that's a wonderful new exciting potential avenue that will utilize that. So if anyone wants to learn more about you or the work you've already done and or even potentially reach out about using your skills or expertise, where can they go and how can they connect with you? I have a web page, catstail.com, K-A-T-Z-T-A-L-E.com. And that has it has my bio, it has some clips, excerpts of projects I've worked on and a page about my archival research. There's a contact form on the website. <laughs> Yeah. And I have an IMDB page as well and LinkedIn. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll put all that stuff in the show notes. This has been really fascinating. I think it's a cool subject and it's awesome that you get to make a living doing this. Like I said, having done only a tiny bit of it myself, but like experiencing how neat it is to peek into the treasure trove of archives. It's definitely something that I hope when people are listening, are thinking about doing stuff, not only do they realize it might not be something they could do on their own to reach out to somebody, but to also realize you can tap into so much stuff to enhance your projects. So thank you so, so much. I enjoyed all of your knowledge and thank you for being on the podcast and sharing your expertise with us today. Thank you so much for interviewing me. I really appreciate it. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you for listening to Media and Monuments, a service of women in film and video in Washington, D.C. Please remember to review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to this podcast. For more information about WIF, please visit our website at wif as in Frank, v as in Victor.org.